Welcome to On the Way with Tony Chris. Each weekday, Dr. Chris will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Chris. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is Podcast 161. All this week, we are looking at the fullness of time when God sent forth the Messiah, His only begotten Son, as the Redeemer, one who was born under the law, that He might redeem those of us who are under the law and in bondage to sin. And that's exactly what the Lord did. He prepared the way, and when Jesus came, he did just what he was assigned to do. And so we are this week, all week, looking at the ways that God prepared the world, and especially his people, for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to earth. And so yesterday, we looked at the concept of the synagogue, the Beit Knesset, and how that God prepared the entire world by putting Jews, first of all, scattering them all over the world. Isn't it amazing that God, in his great wisdom, allowed the conquering armies that would come in and would destroy the nation of Israel as a nation, yes, sparing a remnant and sparing certain lives that would be scattered throughout the earth, that he, through those scattered, decimated people, would create a place that the gospel of the Son of God would one day be preached. God, in his great wisdom, who can fathom it? It is higher than the heavens, and it is broader than the expanse of the universe. Because, you see, God created the heavens and the universe, and he is greater than all. Who can know the mind of God that he could do all that he did in preparation for the coming of the Messiah? And so we saw how the gospel traveled by the synagogues that had been prepared by the destruction of the temple and the exile of his people. Well, as you know, the Babylonian Empire only lasted till 539 B.C., and Cyrus, the great Persian general, came in and conquered the known world at that time and took over the fabled Babylon. The very next year, 538 B.C., after a search of the records, he found out that the Jews had been conquered by the Babylonians, and their beautiful temple and worship center had been destroyed, and so he commissioned the rebuilding of the temple. He allowed the Jews to go back to their homeland. And so it took about three years for enough Jewish people to uproot and go back to their homeland because, as Jeremiah had asked them to do, they had assimilated in the land. They had prayed for the people. They had prospered in Babylon. And now they were no longer just an agrarian people. They were merchants and butchers and bakers and financiers, and they did all all of the things that we know that the Jews do today. So it was a different kind of people that went back years later, decades later. And so they laid the foundation for the temple for a period of 14 to 15 years. They built their own houses and left the house of God just with the foundation laid. And God sent two fiery prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, and they began to preach the return of the people and repentance of the people and an examination of their own hearts. And in 520 B.C., Haggai and Zechariah joined right in, and they went to work, and the Bible says 
that in 516 BC that the temple was indeed completed and dedicated. It took a year to lay the foundation, and then 14 years later, they started the work. Four years later, they finished the work, so it took five years to build the temple, the second temple. And the scripture says in the Ezra and Nehemiah material, when it was dedicated, this second temple, that those who had remembered Solomon's temple, some were still alive and the beauty of it. When they saw that temple, they rejoiced, yes, that a central worship center on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem had been rebuilt, but also they wept when they saw its comparison to Solomon's beautiful and magnificent building and edifice. And so it was, the Bible says, uh, such joy and such weeping that you couldn't tell the difference between the weeping and the joy that was there in 516 B.C., And the Persian Empire, you know the story of Esther and Nehemiah and Ezra and the great feats of courage that and providence that God used those three to do what needs to be done. More about Ezra later. The Persian Empire only lasted to 333 B.C. when it was conquered by a young man from Macedonia. He was the son of Philip, the king of Macedon. He was a brilliant man. He was a military genius, but he was brilliant in many ways. He was schooled until he was 16 by the great Aristotle, and along with two of his companions, Ptolemy, who would be one of his generals, as well as Cassander. It was said that Aristotle schooled and educated Alexander and his companions, and two of those companions played a very important part in the great battles and the conquering strategy of Alexander, their friend and their uh, king in general. And so Alexander, at a very young age, conquered the neighboring territories. He crossed the Hellespont, the Dardanelles, the Bosphorus River that runs from the Black Sea into the Aegean Sea and becomes a part of the Mediterranean counterclockwise motion called the Mediterranean Sea. He crossed over into Anatolia, which is modern-day Turkey, He went in, as you know, across the land bridge from Asia to Africa called Israel and Jordan today, went into Egypt, North Africa, and conquered the Pharaoh of Egypt, became the Pharaoh himself, and then he set his sights on Persia, which he conquered and went all the way to the Bias River in the northwest region of Punjab in India. Everywhere that Alexander went, he took his Greek philosophy, he took the theater, the arts, the culture, and he took his language. Because you see, Alexander, very much like the father of the bride on my Big Fat Greek Wedding movie, It was like Alexander, because Alexander believed that everything started with Greece and finished with Greece. And you'll recall on that movie that the father was obnoxious because he would say, give me a word, any word, and then he would trace it back to a Greek origin. Reality is, in our English language, 80 to 90 percent of all the words that we use have their base in either Latin or Greek. And that's why it's so important for our children to learn Greek and Latin so that they can know better the origins 
terms of our language and how to speak and how to communicate better. And would to God that all the schools would teach that. And certainly the homeschoolers and Christian schools need to be doing that as well, along with Hebrew. And it's nothing for a child to learn two to three to four languages. It happens all over the world, except in the United States. So back to Alexander and the fullness of time. I just want to center in on one thing in this particular podcast, and that is the language. You see, if the world was going to be ready for the Lord Jesus and it was going to be ready for the message that would be preached after Jesus died, a substitutionary death, was buried, rose again, ascended to heaven, then there was going to have to be a common language. And indeed, that was what Greek provided. That's what Alexander provided, because as he conquered the known world at that time, he took his language with him. Not classical Greek as Iliad and the Odyssey of Homer. No, it was called common Greek, Koine Greek to be specific. And that's what the New Testament was written in because it was the trade language of the day. It was the lingua franca. It was as Swahili is in Africa, as in language around the world today, the trade language. If you're going to do commerce in the world, you've got to know English. Now, I know some of you may think that Mandarin Chinese is right around the corner, and that may be the case. But right now, English is still the world trade language. If you fly a jet anywhere in the world, you have to learn English so that you can deal with the control towers all over the world. And I could go on, but it is the language of the day. And so if you wanted to trade in the ancient world during the days of Jesus, during the days of Alexander, during the days of the Romans and afterwards, then you had to know Greek. And that's why the disciples of Jesus, they would have been at least trilingual. They would have spoken Aramaic in their homes and in their daily business around their villages. But they would have spoken Hebrew when they read in the synagogues and in the temple, certainly, and anything to do with the Torah or the Nevi'im or the Ketuvim, the Tanakh, uh, the Old Testament, they would have been reading in Hebrew. Then, as you know, the Hebrew scriptures in Alexandria, Egypt, were translated into Koine Greek. It's called the Septuagint. But they would have also known Latin, which was their conquering people at the time, the Romans. And so they probably knew four languages. Certainly, they would have been conversant and perhaps fluent in three languages for sure. And so if you wanted to do anything in the Greco-Roman world, you had to know Greek. Everywhere that Alexander went, which is everywhere the gospel went, in the early church, there was a common language that could be spoken worldwide. Now, that was not the case before Alexander. So God brought along the Persians and the Babylonians so that the synagogue, the place to preach, would be prepared for the Son of God. But you can have a place to preach, but if you cannot speak to the people on the street and you cannot converse in their language, you cannot share the good news and the message of Jesus. And so God, in his great wisdom and sovereignty, prepared a conqueror, and that conqueror took a language with him that became the common language that the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God, would be spread worldwide, the New Testament, which became the primary source material, not only for them in the first century, but it is our primary source material today for the New Testament. So God in 
his mercy and his grace prepared the way for the Son of God. Yes, through the Beit Knesset, through the Sunagogos, but he also prepared the way by Alexander the Great and the great Greek kingdom that spread the culture and philosophy and the arts and all the things that Alexander took with him. But for our purposes, I want you to understand that the language of the New Testament is the language of Alexander. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at tonycrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCRISP.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.